The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Uh, if you want to subscribe to Chen's letter, you need to put your name on a waiting list. and You can do that by going to miningstocks.com. He will be accepting new subscribers during the first few days of the next quarter, starting in October. So, uh, again, if you want to avail yourself to Chen's excellent newsletter, uh, go to miningstocks.com or call my assistant, Claudio Bassi, uh, to put your name on the waiting list, and that number is 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. You can sign up for my newsletter, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, at any time at miningstocks.com. By the way, Chen uh, Lin will be with me in just a few minutes to, uh, after we take our first commercial break to talk about a special situation stock that he's extremely high on and also about uh, to make some comments about Pan Orient as well, I believe, and perhaps if time uh, permits, uh, a comment or two about the Chinese economy and what that means for the markets. I uh, should also like to mention that the best place to follow everything I do is jtaylormedia. That's jaytaylormedia.com, and you can follow me on Twitter under the handle jtaylormedia. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. I want to thank our sponsors for making the show economically viable. They are Balmoral Resources, uh, trading at 50 cents today. Blue Gold Water Technologies, trading at 21 cents today. Prophecy Platinum at 63 cents. Um, by the way, Prophecy Platinum had a very significant uh, press release this last week. They announced a drill result of 352.7 meters, grading 2.62 gold per ton platinum equivalent on its well green property and uh, this is a company we're going to be talking to Greg Johnson next week uh, about that project it's one that I think is the 
number one, in my view, number one platinum group project in the world. So Greg Johnson will be with us next week to talk about that. SGX Resources, another sponsor, uh, selling at 11.5 cents, came out with some nice drill results, 2.43 grams per ton uh, of gold on its uh, Tully project over 33 meters. And uh, last but not least, Golden Arrow Resources trading today at 22 cents. They've made a major silver uh, discovery in Argentina. I would suggest that you might want to, if you enjoy this show, also tune in to my good friend Al Corlin's show, and that is at w, that's at uh, kereport.com, kereport.com. I'd like to encourage you uh, who listen to the show and enjoy it, or even if you find things that you don't like about what is said here, send us an email uh, at questions4taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Uh, here is a, question, a, a response or a letter I'd like to read to you from Eric. Crane from Arizona, and uh, he said the following, "Uh, Jay, I enjoy listening to your radio show. I consider it a must-listen to broadcast each week. And and this was uh, this was sent on September 13th, the past Friday. And he said today's smash in gold uh, in the gold market, September 13th, was particularly nauseating. But the timing brought back some memories related to gold's performance in 2000 and 2001. You will remember, of course, that gold was terribly weak in 2000 and didn't do much better in 2001 in the aftermath. Aftermath of 9/11, it moved up sharply higher initially, only to fall back. I know a few gold bugs who gave up on the metal in the aftermath of 9/11. People would tell me, if gold can't rally now, when is it ever going to rally? In hindsight, we now know that we were on the cusp of a blast off in metals prices. Fast forward, and many are once again proclaiming the death of gold. I remember in the spring of this year, Societe Generale published a report entitled, quote, The End of the Gold Era, end of quote. I shook my head in disbelief. Exactly what era are they referring to, I wondered. Certainly not the 5,000-year period in which gold has held value while every currency known to man has been debased out of existence. As I try to tell my family and friends, gold is not the experiment, Fiat currency is the experiment. Gold will continue to have value when the U.S. dollar disappears and is replaced by a new currency. I must acknowledge, however, that I have been amazed at how many, uh, how readily investors have permitted the developed nations to take on even more debt since the financial crisis. The straw has been piled very high on the camel's back. If you stand far enough away, the camel appears to be just fine. It's only when you get close that you see the legs quivering and God knows uh, when that fateful and last blade of straw will be placed upon its back. In nightmares, I sometimes think that when gold finally moves for real, the exchanges will be shut down and there won't be a way to monetize the true value of the mining stocks. I'm hoping there is at least one more orderly move up in the future, perhaps a discussion for another day. All the best to you, Jay. Eric Crane of Queen Creek, Arizona. Thank you very much, Eric. And I do think that our guest, one of our guests today, Paul Usum, the author of the Gold and Silver Newsletter, will no doubt have something to say about your concerns. Uh, and I want to also, when we get into the next segment, read a, a short letter from Joe from Calgary, uh, and because he has a question for Chen Lin, who will be our guest after the first commercial break. But let's just talk a little bit more about today's show. As I mentioned, Paul Usum will be with us. He appears for the first time. And also, Florian Siegfried will be back with us again this week. He was with us last week. We just didn't have enough time to ask Chen 
uh, or to ask Sig uh, Florian, I should say, about all the uh, the names and companies he wanted to talk about. Um, but the main thing we want to talk to Paul Usum about today is why has the price of gold declined so dramatically over the past several months when there's records amount of demand coming out of China and India and elsewhere? Uh, why and and when there's no real new uh, supply coming onto the markets? Paul uh, Usum is the editor of the Gold and Silver Analyst uh, newsletter. He'll stop by at, at about three thirty to uh, help us understand what's going on, and then at four o'clock, Florian Siegfried will be with me, and Florian has some really exciting names in the gold and silver space that I think uh, will be very, very interesting to you. And as noted, Chen Lin is going to be with me right after uh, our first break here. And then Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity will be joining me once again, and he's going to talk about Syria and other issues on the geopolitical front. Well, I see that we are. Uh, we do need to go to, to our first break, so uh, we are going to take our commercial break now, and when we come back, Chen Lin will be with me. Don't go away. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property. A large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Some things never go out of style. In the gold business for over 100 years, high-grade Canadian gold discoveries have been in vogue amongst investors. Balmoral Resources has continued to deliver high-grade results from a series of new discoveries in Quebec. If you're looking to upgrade your portfolio in the fall with some golden highlights, learn more about Balmoral at balmoralresources.com. Balmoral trades on the OTCQX under the symbol BALMF and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol BAR. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questions4taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me, after a long absence, Chen Lin. He's the author of a newsletter, of course, that we talk about frequently here called What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And uh, before we uh, before we say hello to, to Chen, I want to just mention uh, this letter from uh, a listener named Joe from Calgary. He says, uh, I work in the oil patch, and I do have a question for Chen 
on pan-orient energy, which I had uh, before. I found out he carried it, which made me initially very happy to know that he was uh, that he uh, that he liked this stock. But just curious if he could provide some commentary on why anyone would hold this drooping oil play. And again, thank you for your great show. That's Joe. Uh, from Calgary. Well, welcome, Chen. Uh, good to have you back again. Yeah, thank you, Jay. What are your uh, What are your thoughts on Joe's question on Panorient? You know, people get very sometimes um, uh, annoyed that it's taking so long for the market to recognize value. But what are your thoughts on Panorient now? Well, you know, that's that's the problem with this market in general. Uh, there are a lot of juniors uh, just completely ignored by the market. Uh, there are a lot of values everywhere, uh, but you know, the market just don't seem to be to care. <laughs> so that's that's a problem. Uh, for Panarin, actually, Panarin, the CEO, maybe you know, you may be interested in meeting him one day. <laughs> he's uh, actually he's actually a gold bug, so he's very uh, interesting gold, very interesting um, financial discipline. You can see mm-hmm. from the stock, okay, uh, for the company like his, you know, like. Uh, been here around for like ten years. Mm-hmm. Total share outstanding is just over fifty million. I mean, you see, every almost every juniors we see is a few hundred million share already. Yeah, yep. But he, he's very very financial disciplined guy, and he tried to keep you know in two thousand eight, right? Everybody was crying, and he's the only company that's buying back shares. Right? Among all the junior I follow. Because he has cash, so he when when share drop, he he buy back shares, he cancel shares. So mm-hmm. uh, and he this, the stock I got in was like uh, almost two years ago, at right just around two dollars. Uh, in the past two years, it, it paid seventy five cents dividend. So if you consider mm-hmm. dividend, actually, I'm still up a little bit. Sure, uh, but the the story is the the value of the stock. Okay, and mm-hmm. it's. Uh, uh, Thailand property, Indonesia property, and Canada property. Uh, mm-hmm. They also have one dollar cash, which is mm-hmm. rare among junior. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, I see each of them can worth uh, two dollar, a few dollars easily. Uh, mm-hmm. There are some important catalysts coming. Thailand, they're trading a very large uh, uh, structure. That's December. Uh, he has uh, all the heavy oil. Going to do testing, and result will come out in first quarter. And he also looking for partner farm out Indonesia concession. So basically, mm-hmm. from now on, uh, the uh, the cash level will be quite stable because the major capex already behind it. About a dollar cash, he should accumulating cash from his Thailand operation from now. So it's a mm-hmm. pretty nice little solid stock uh, to to hold on. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking, Chen, as you mentioned, his conservatism and how he uh, is buying back his own shares. He's not out there issuing shares. Of course, companies that are out there raising capital using investment houses, those investment houses will create some demand to try to sell the shares they're financing, right? So, I mean, that's why probably this company doesn't get a whole lot of attention in the market because it's not, it's not depending on the investment banks to raise capital. Is, is right. that part of the story? Exactly. Yeah. So they kind of ignore, completely ignore by Canadian brokers. And Analysts say, aren't telling you how good it is because they're not making any money in the back end on it. Right. He's already moved to Bangkok. So uh, I'm having uh, some Chinese analysts actually going there next week. Uh, mm. to meet some friends them. of yours and from Beijing? Right. I mean, so they, they can see that the situation is very, very close to Beijing and 
you know, they, they can they can they can see how good the property is. So I mean, similar company if listed in Singapore probably will have at least five hundred million market cap. Very interesting. Well, Chen, you have a special situation I want to ask you about in three or four minutes that we have left here. Harvest Natural Resources uh, trades in the U.S. under the symbol HNR, I believe. What what can you tell our listeners? What's unique about this that's really got you excited about it? Yeah, this, this is a very interesting company. It's a reminder of a Texas cowboy. <laughs> so the, the company actually just opposite to, to power, and they take a lot of risk, but they seem so very smart people. They they Make a, quite a few major discovery in the past few years. Uh, so, and they sold some. They uh, they are still having two major, uh, very promising discovery. One is in Venezuela. <laughs> one is in offshore Gabon. Uh, but I think the uh, uh, both could worth a billion dollar. But uh, right now, nobody really cares the valuations because it's running out of cash. That's mm-hmm. a classical situation. Uh, they they got an offer from its Venezuela asset uh, about three hundred seventy three million, which mm-hmm. is very low. Consider they got an offer for seven uh, twenty five million last year. So it's a low ball offer just because they're in very poor financial shape. But that's fine, you know. I will take it. Uh, so I calculate uh, with this offer, um, they will spin off the rest of the asset. Uh, the offer worth. Just on the cash side, it's almost six dollars. So basically, the key is right now stock trading at five dollars. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, shareholder will vote yes, of course, you know, and mm-hmm. then you get six dollars back, and you get a, a spin-off company with clean balance sheet, forty million ca- cash, and then the rest of the asset. Uh, the mm-hmm. rest of the asset in the normal condition can worth that much as ten dollars. Actually, I just read another broker report saying it's worth nine dollars. I think it's about that range. So that's where their rest of assets should worth. Uh, mm-hmm. Right now, nobody cares because this house is going down. They they're running out of money. But you know, but they think about if you put it in this perspective, right? Right now, the market is kind of dangerous because it's moving up and down, moving up and down. Tomorrow, Fed will be going to announce taper or not taper or taper how much. But this stock actually is independent of market. All right, here they have an offer on the table. I think chances also exist for a better offer because mm-hmm. they have seven hundred twenty-five million, and this is mm-hmm. half of the last year's price. I mean, you got a, if they got another offer, you got a maybe ten dollar cash. I, I do not know. I mean, just guessing. Right now, you get six dollar cash. You you buy pay five dollar now. In a couple of months, you get six dollar back, and I have yeah. a free carry for the rest. I think it's it's a wonderful situation. Okay, I mean, uh, you, it's very risky stock market now, and this stock has actually uh, it's one of the few a special situation. Actually, I'm buying this week as soon as I came back from Turkey. I, I, I checked the situation. Uh, and, uh, don't take my word. Listen to the conference call they have last Thursday. Even the management said the cash distribution will be higher than. Than the current share price. Shopper at that time was uh, was uh, uh, five uh, five dollars thirty. Okay, uh-huh. even the management says so. So I think that's a correct. My my calculation is correct, and the management even says said that in the conference call. So you will get more. Maybe not exactly six. Maybe close to six. But you will get more than, you know, uh, more than much more than current market. 
have. All right. Thank you, Chen. Uh, my engineer is telling me we're out of time. I want to thank you very much for sharing that information. Great ideas. Folks, uh, check Chen Lin out. Go to miningstocks.com. We do have to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be with Paul Usum. Uh, he is going to talk to us about why on earth is the price of gold where it is when there's so much demand coming out of China, India, and elsewhere. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Paul Usum, author of Gold and Silver Analyst. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine, operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. SGX Resources is an exploration gold company with multiple advanced exploration projects in the Timmins Gold Camp. Recent high-grade intersections at SGX's Tully Deposit include 14 meters at 20.1 grams per ton and 17.6 meters at 11.1 grams per ton. The deposit is currently more than 600 meters along strike with a depth of up to 250 meters and remains open in all directions. SGX Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange with the trading symbol SXR. Visit our website at www.sgxresources.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Paul Usum. Paul is the editor of the Gold and Silver Analyst Newsletter that started publication in January of 2011. His analytical skills were initially developed at the University of Illinois Champaign, where he received a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering. Paul uh, previously participated in the Bloomberg Gold Survey for 120 weeks from March 17, 2005 through the week of July 2, 2007. The Bloomberg Gold Survey previously had an accuracy rate in the 57% to 58% range. Paul uh, accurately forecasted the gold price 79 out of 120 weeks or 66% of the time. Welcome, Paul. It's really good to have you join us on Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. You know, it's, uh, I, your newsletter caught my eye, and I said, this looks like some really practical information that would be good for my listeners uh, to hear, for those that may not be all that familiar uh, with how the gold markets and silver markets uh, are, you know, how they operate, and right. I believe how they're manipulated. I believe you believe the markets are manipulated. So how is that done? I believe it's done on the futures markets, basically mostly at the COMEX in uh, New York. 
And basically, with uh, selling futures contracts, you can control the price of gold and the price of silver and pretty much the price of anything. You've got a buyer and a seller, and we're talking about how, what, are this, what are the size of the contracts in gold, for example? How many ounces would you buy? Well, like a gold contract represents 100 ounces. So each okay. contract you're long in gold, you're rep- representing 100 ounces. But when you go long on a gold contract, I'd say the vast majority of the people only put up a fraction of the value of the contract. So let's say you go long a gold contract, you know, each $10 gold goes up, you're up $1,000. Mm-hmm. So there's a tendency to make bets where if there's a big move, adverse move against you, that's where uh, futures traders can get in trouble. Okay, so do you have any idea what that margin is, and, and has it changed recently? You know, I haven't been tracking the margins that lately, but mm-hmm. like in gold, it was like around... Uh, let's say six, seven thousand, like initial margin, and then a little bit less for maintenance margin. And six or seven thousand on a hundred ounce contract. That's uh, that's correct. pretty small compared to the dollar value that we're talking about, isn't it? True. That can be a problem because unless you have deep pockets, like let's say initial margin is let's say like around seven thousand. Let's say maintenance margin is around five thousand. So then you got to have additional money in your account to cover any losses. And each $100 move in the price of gold is going to be like $10,000. So if you're going to trade one contract, in my opinion, you've got to have at least, let's say, thirty grand in your account to just, you know, legitimately trade one contract. And that's assuming, you know, you don't get some adverse moves that knock you out. Like the moves that we saw in April, that basically took all kinds of small speculators out of the picture. I mean, those moves were just huge. So, uh, so yeah, the gold price fell very dramatically, so the small speculators that were on the long side got smoked out of the contract, essentially got closed out, probably, huh? Right. With losses, Correct. with big losses. Big losses. And on the other side of those contracts, Paul, people were making money. Um, who was making money, uh, do you think, on the short side? Well, um, you know, my latest report, uh, or my, my latest newsletter, I showed from the bank participation reports, which come out once a month, I showed the bank positions for the last six months. And basically, in April of 2013, the banks were net short, let's say around 80,000 contracts. So prior to gold and silver really getting whacked in uh, April, the banks were positioned for gold and silver to go down. As the price of gold and silver went down over the coming weeks, the banks started going less and less net short and actually got net long gold, which was fairly unusual for the July reporting period. And then in August, even as the price of gold and silver rose, the banks actually increased their net long position to around 40,000 or so contracts. Mm -hmm. So they were positioned on paper to make money as the price of gold went up, which it did. The banks are still net long around, let's say, 10,000 contracts uh, overall. But I should point out, there's a difference between the U.S. banks, which are net long, let's say, around 45,000 contracts, and the non-U.S. banks that are net short, let's say, around 35,000 contracts. So uh, the banks as a group are still net long, but the U.S. banks are actually significantly net long, at least on paper. What was the date of the latest, the latest report, and how often do these, these reports come out, and where do you get your information? Well, I go to, uh, I Google it for bank participation report. Mm-hmm. It's a report that's put out by the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, I believe. Mm-hmm. And the latest one came out on September 3rd, 2013, 
and uh, that will be the latest report uh, showing uh, the bank's net long, or actually the bank's long 93,000 contracts and short, let's see, 84,000 contracts. And this report comes out once a month. It's supposed to come out on the first Tuesday of each month, but in reality it comes out, let's say, anywhere in the first quarter of the month. So, but really that means that uh, the big players, the big bullion banks, and I, I want to get to some of those names in a minute, but that right. means that they could really be switching their position a long time before we'd ever find out. True, true. So the bank, partici- the bank participation report gives you, let's say, one snapshot of what's going on, but then you've got your commitment of traders reports that comes out on a weekly basis that gives you a weekly snapshot. So doing a little, let's say, deductive reasoning, you can take an educated guess, or at least I do, on where the banks are positioning themselves uh, you know, on a week-to-week basis, and then it gets confirmed when the bank participation report comes out. There's also another report that comes out from the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, which comes out once a quarter. So there it shows the largest gold derivative holders, and basically there's only two banks that are even listed. And that's mm-hmm. J.P. Morgan with gold derivatives of $93.6 trillion, or $93.6 billion, I should say. Oh, okay. And then Citibank uh, around, let's say, $23 billion. But I think these numbers should be put in perspective because if you look at the world gold hedge position, you know, like the gold mining companies hedging their production, back in 2001, the world gold hedge position was approximately 102 million ounces. And right now it's down to, let's say, 3.6 million ounces. So if you took the world hedge position of 3.6 million ounces and you multiplied it by, let's say, the the price in the first quarter, let's say an average price of like $1,650 an ounce, you come up with a figure of let's say 5 to $6 billion. So you could, make a, you could make a case that banks could have some type of legitimate hedge position of the 5 to $6 billion range in mm-hmm. the gold market. Mm-hmm. But when they're showing a gold derivative position of $93 billion for J.P. Morgan and like $23-something billion for Citibank, in my opinion, you can't justify why they have such large gold derivative positions with the world hedge position being as low as it is. Yeah, I mean, we're looking at uh, about $100 and $126 billion or something collectively between the two, somewhere in that range, uh, right. com- compared to 5 or $6 billion, uh, more like uh, legitimate hedge positions right. in your view. And especially when you consider hedging is not just buying... You know, short. You know, it's not, you're not just shorting gold futures on the COMEX. You can hedge by selling calls. You can buy puts. You can do customized transactions on the over-the-counter market. You could hedge in other markets. So, I mean, uh, this is actually much more extreme than you know, just comparing it to the COMEX long and short positions. You mentioned uh, you mentioned two banks. So, did you say J.P. Morgan and who who was it? Uh, Citibank. And Citibank. Okay. What about a couple of others that are big in the trade, uh, in the bullion trade, Bank of America and Goldman Sachs? Those guys are big players, too, at times, are they not? They are. They're actually listed on the uh, Office of the Comptroller Currency quarterly report. Mm -hmm. And I'm not exactly sure why this is so, but they're showing the gold position for Bank of America and Goldman Sachs at zero. You know, maybe somehow they're able to 
get their positions and not have to report to the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency. But for whatever reason, they're just not showing any position for Bank of America and Goldman Sachs for this uh, government report. Okay, so these banks are big in derivatives, but they are all the time. I mean, when, when you say they're short or long, it's a net position, right? So they're probably having contracts. A good number of those contracts are on both sides, so they sort of cancel out, don't they? Probably to some degree, yes. I would uh, would just think in terms of the number of contracts. If we're talking about ninety three point six billion and twenty three billion, right? You know those uh, and the net the net long. I think you said was what at one point at twelve or something eight or something like that billion. Well, anyway, the the net the net long position would be small compared to that total position. Correct. Well, in the bank participation report, they're just showing the futures positions. Uh-huh. So the net long position for the U.S. banks is like around 45,000 contracts, and the net short position for the foreign banks is like 35,000 contracts. Mm-hmm. But that's just futures contracts, and that's just the bank participation report. When you go to the office of the comptroller of the currency, that isn't just futures contracts. That's all derivative contracts. And it's the over-the-counter market, so um, it could be calls, puts, futures, other customized derivative contracts. And exactly what goes on in the over-the-counter market is really subject to speculation. Oh, so there's a lot of stuff over-the-counter that we never see. Uh, exactly. So exactly what this $93 billion by J.P. Morgan represents, uh, we just don't know the answer to that. ETFs fit into that uh, description? Um, I don't believe so. I think, uh-huh. you know, ETFs are completely separate from uh, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency Report. But these guys could certainly own ETFs as well on the short side or long side. They do. In fact, it's been reported that Goldman Sachs has a substantial position in the GLD ETF, which is a relatively recent development. It's kind of an interesting development because Goldman Sachs has been talking about shorting gold and low prices for gold, but on the other hand, they're buying all this GLD ETF, which is kind of an interesting uh, development, I think. Well, they're buying uh, GLD, uh, and that's a long on gold, isn't it? Correct. Well, th- these guys can play both sides and do play both sides of the market, but you would think that if they wanted to get the general population, the general, the average Joe Schmo, and even the average Wall Street uh, professional thinking one way, they can start to use propaganda. They can start to say and, and put out... Uh, forecast for gold, right? And they probably right. have some degree of influence on the ability to shake people out of the market. If they want the, mar- if they want the price to go down, they can, they can do that uh, to a degree for a while, I suppose. They can be, it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, like when J.P. Morgan issued this you know, call for gold to go down, that call for gold to go down shakes up a lot of people. And then if Goldman Sachs, in, in conjunction with other banks, make it a self-fulfilling, you know, prophecy by shorting thousands or tens of thousands of contracts in the futures market, gold and silver is going to go down. Um, The only thing that's going to stop this is if you have a, you know, a regulator stepping up here and say, wait a minute, you can't sell 50,000 contracts over the course of five minutes. I mean, there's no economic justification for this. So you asked before, you know, how they control the price of gold. It's basically, if you want to take gold down, you just short as many futures contracts as it takes to, to break the price, and that's what they do. And as many contracts as it takes is as many contracts as they'll throw at it, 
And in my opinion, the CFTC just will not stop this pra- this practice. Uh, well, we can we can get to why that might be. But but on the other hand, uh, if they drive the price down, right, uh, that makes it more attractive to buy it. Then I right. uh, I can buy it and I can take delivery. Isn't taking delivery a way that you could you could wreak some havoc on these guys? Do they have you, the? I mean, if if they are not if they're just playing a gambling game. And, and they're you know they're taking a net short position or a net right. long position, but they take a net short position, drive the price down. I could go in if I had the the uh, wherewithal, go in and demand delivery. And uh, is there enough gold? Because one of the things I've heard is that there's there's not enough gold, perhaps at the Comex and elsewhere, to satisfy if if a large percentage of those people on the long side decided they wanted to take delivery. That's an excellent point, and actually, the gold available for delivery at the COMEX has been plunging. At the beginning of this year, the gold available for delivery was at 3 million ounces, and as of like this past week, we're down to 660,000 ounces. So the gold available for delivery is down like 78% so far in 2013. So in theory, some large hedge fund could just stand for, you know, X number of contracts, just take delivery and see what happens. But in reality, it's only a very small portion of the players actually take delivery on the COMEX, you know, maybe like 1% or 2%. And what I've been told and what I have heard, people who actually try to take delivery, taking delivery can be two things. You can transfer it within one category to another category within the COMEX. So they're just basically moving it from one part of the warehouse to the other. But to actually take delivery and remove it from the warehouse is another ball game. And um, in my opinion, if anybody tries to do that, they're going to receive some type of pressure from the COMEX and or U.S. authorities. Um, it's just a difficult process to do in the United States. But in, in Shanghai, where, you know, in the COMEX, let's say 1% or 2% gold contracts take delivery in the U.S., in Shanghai, something like 45% of gold contracts take delivery. And actually, in Shanghai, they're taking delivery, it's like 200 tons a month. I mean, at this rate, Shanghai is going to take delivery of somewhere around 2,000 tons, which will be unprecedented and it dwarfs anything going on at the COMEX. And where is this gold coming from? That's an excellent question. I would say, we'd have to back up a little bit. I would say when this first price smash occurred in April, and then we're getting report from basically a guy by the name of Andrew McGuire, who's a futures trader, and he's based out of London, and he sees the wholesale market. He, he sees the orders by the central banks in China in particular placing orders. And he would report, he would report, yeah, 40 tons are gone this week, 50 tons, 100 tons. In fact, he just came out with another report saying that uh, 98 tons have been delivered so far in Shanghai in September. Mm. And so you could say, well, this is one person, you know, his report. But the thing is, these reports started, let's say, April, May, June. Then, starting on July 8th, which was a Monday, the gold offered rate and uh, gold offered forward rate in London went negative for the first time in 2000 since 2008. Hmm. When that rate went negative, that indicated a shortage of 400 ounce deliverable gold bars in London. 
So basically, what Andrew McGuire was saying about China and other central banks and government entities buying over there in London, it seems to be it's going from London to Shanghai. In fact, see, they're saying UK gold exports surged tenfold in the first six months of 2013 mm-hmm. to just about 800 tons. So I'd say a good chunk of this gold that's being delivered out of Shanghai appears to be coming from London. I've heard there's a lot of gold that has been shaken out of the ETFs with this decline. Uh, a lot of people sold, as I think the most popular way for most people who don't really understand gold, but they think they need to have some simply because it's, it's going up. Right. Uh, you know, they go out and buy the ETFs, the right. bullion ETFs, and then they dump those ETFs, and so there's essentially, you know, redemptions. And, and so... That gold that was gold put on. Has to go somewhere. Right, it goes out in the market, and I'm wondering if you know you get a Goldman Sachs or some of these major guys to come out and tell their clients that gold's going down, they should get out and they should buy some tech stock or whatever. Now, that maybe right. maybe um, maybe that's where some of this gold has come from. I, uh, I agree. I, I agree. A portion is coming from the GLD ETF. A portion is coming from the COMEX, but those two is not nearly enough to satisfy what's being taken out of uh, the Shanghai, and this is this is physical delivery. This is not a paper transfer. This is actual physical gold that's coming out of Shanghai. So if you take what's coming out of the GLD ETF, if you take what's coming out of the COMEX, if you take this 800 tons out of the UK, we're getting close to satisfying delivery demands just at Shanghai. It's probably coming from somewhere else. Where else it's coming from, hard to say. It is very difficult. Of course, some comes from the mines on a regular basis, but we know that the amount of gold that's mined annually from the mines is a minuscule amount of the total amount of gold that's above ground because virtually all the, all the gold that's ever been mined sits in vaults somewhere. It doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't get destroyed. Even like silver to a certain extent is lost uh, through industrial use. Gold isn't used in industrial uses very much. So, I, it's really a mystery where where it all, is all coming from, and, it, and uh, more than that, even China itself uh, is the largest gold producer in the world. They say, and, and to a great extent, they've achieved that by using, according to my friend Chen Lin uh, and, and colleague Chen Lin, says uh, that they uh, that they are achieving high gold production uh, in China by using a lot of uh, unsafe, environmentally unsafe uh, processes. But um, it, it's just really amazing. So. Do you think, I mean, we've seen now, of course, last week gold get hit really pretty hard. Right. Do you think these same banks are going in now and uh, taking a, a big short position? They've switched from, from long to short? Well, I would say they want to make the ride up as uncomfortable as possible. So even though they're long paper gold, and I stress paper gold, yeah, um, I would almost consider their long position paper gold as probably a hedge. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the physical delivery demands by China in particular and to a lesser extent in India and also the Middle East, this gold has to come from somewhere. And I believe J.P. Morgan and these other bullion banks have to come up with this gold somewhere to, to satisfy actual delivery demands. Um, so even though they're long in the futures market, that's not their total big picture I think they still are scrambling to come up with physical. I don't know if that is part of the reason why Goldman Sachs has bought all this GLD ETF. It could be, but um, I think uh, 
this last little run-in, you know, in my opinion, definitely uh, was the bullion bank selling. You know, again, they have a tendency to hit, you know, during the after hours when when trading is, is light. Was it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When was it on Wednesday or Thursday? You know, gold drops like twenty dollars an ounce in the aftermarket on no news, on no anything. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just all it takes is. 3,000, 5,000, 10,000 contracts in the aftermarket to just pummel the price. And they just, all, all you need to do is just throw as many contracts as it takes and you're, you can drop it $20 an ounce, $30 an ounce, whatever they want to drop it to. Yeah, and discourage anybody from any momentum on the upside to try to discourage that, right? Exactly. And to exactly. keep average people thinking gold is a horrible thing to own. But when they do that, the physical market. Uh, steps in there, China, India, and the Middle East, and they're just buying like crazy. Because so, those markets actually trade off of the paper markets, right? The pi- the price is, is governed by the trade by the paper markets. Correct. Right. Well, you know, you you mentioned in your latest newsletter as well that there's uh, some evidence. A couple of whistleblowers have come from J.P. Morgan, right. and have talked about manipulation of the gold market. Can you tell us what you know about that? Well, this this news just surfaced. 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Friday, September 13th. Gold was down on the day and was drifting lower into the aftermarket. And when this news hit and King World News reported it, gold took off to the upside, rising like $20 an ounce, and silver rose like $0.44 an ounce. Out of all the years that I've seen uh, the price action for gold and silver, this I've never seen gold and silver take off like this late on a Friday afternoon because, you know, the European physical market basically is closed. The Eastern market is closed. The COMEX is closed. So if anything, gold and silver is vulnerable to a price decline. There was no news. There was no rumors. The only thing, in my opinion, that you can attribute this sudden rise in gold and silver late on Friday was the news reported by King World News that two J.P. Morgan whistleblowers came to Andrew McGuire with hard evidence that J.P. Morgan was manipulating the gold price, and this information was taken to the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and was also taken to a law firm that represents whistleblowers for the two J.P. Morgan employees. Okay, so uh, that that was the, uh, we're talking about Friday the 6th of September, I guess, right? Friday the 13th. I mean the 13th, yeah. Right. Okay, okay. All right, so um, all right. So it, So the CFTC knows about it. Right. Uh, a lot of people in the public that listen to uh, shows like that. Um, which show was it on? Um, actually, it was reported by King World News. King World News. Okay, so people that listen to King World News. Right. Uh, it, it isn't exactly a mainstream, although it has a huge following. Right. And a law firm uh, that knows about this, so um, might be some legal action. Well, we'll let's see what happens. Um, according to the information that was provided by King World News, uh, this information was given to the Commodity Futures Trading Commission in June of 2012, and apparently uh, Andrew McGuire was getting fed up along with the two J.P. Morgan employees that nothing was happening. And uh, I guess Andrew McGuire decided to report that to King World News to to get it reported. I see. So where this goes from here, I, I I'll be very interested to find out. 
We sure will be. Now, the CFTC, as you mentioned earlier, uh, has not really been too active. Uh, I think there was one person there, perhaps, that seemed to be trying to uh, uh, to be straightforward and honest about it. But but what's your best what's your best get? Do you th- guess? Do you think CFTC will will take this up and start hammering away at these big boys? I think the only way that's going to occur is if there's public pressure put on. If this law firm comes forth, let's say in some public way, I know this Bart. I don't know him personally, but the commissioner Bart Chilton at the CFTC. He seems to have a sympathetic ear to the silver manipulation in particular. Um, but, you know, there's been a silver investigation going on five years. I mean, yeah. how long does it take to investigate this? And there's been numerous evidence that was supplied to the CFTC by Andrew McGuire, by GATA, uh, possibly by other parties, you know, lately by the, the two employees, by J.P. Morgan. So, in my opinion, it's going to take some type of public pressure, public knowledge that this is occurring to get the CFTC to act. Do you think um, you, you think we've seen the bottom on this, uh, on this decline? And why I do you do. think so? Well, uh, can't these guys, I mean, after all, these banks have unlimited supplies of money. You and I have to worry about covering our, true. Covering our margins. They don't have to. They can just keep hammering away at this thing uh, until hell freezes over. Well, I look at it this way, um, you know, the banks prior to the April, you know, attack, they were net short 59,473 contracts at one, actually 41,666 contracts. They went net long at one point, 59,000 contracts. If they were going to take this down again, I think we would have seen their short position much higher than it is. The Bank of England sold 1,244 tons of gold somewhere around there. This was information that was gathered by this Alistair, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name, McLeod or McLeod, something? McLeod, yeah. Uh-huh. McLeod. Yeah, we've had him, Alistair McLeod, we've had him on our show, yeah. So the Bank of England sold 1,244 tons of gold. The Bank of England doesn't own anywhere near that amount of gold. They own somewhere, let's call it four or 500 tons. But the Bank of England holds gold on behalf of other countries. Mm-hmm. So apparently the Bank of England sold gold that was owned by other countries. Mm-hmm. Whether the Bank of England had the permission of the other countries, who knows? Yeah. But the point I would like to make is I don't think the Bank of England can continue to sell this kind of gold into the market. One, they don't own it, and the remaining central bank gold is limited. Paul, when was this? When when did this uh, alleged sale take place from the Bank of England? Eh, it was sometime earlier this year. Okay, all right. Uh, I don't right. have the exact date. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I just just wanted some perspective because, of course, it was uh, quite a few years ago that most of the Western banks, London, uh, England. Uh, included sold most of its gold. I think somewhere around three hundred dollars or so. So, and they telegraphed their sale of gold. Right. They, right. they, you know, it wasn't like they tried to get the best price they could for the for their gold sales. They they announced to the world they were going to sell this huge amount of gold. Well, of course, it drove the price down, and they did that. So right. there's something, Actually, yeah, there's something that doesn't meet the eye here with these guys for sure. Right. What but I, gonna, you know, you you ask, you ask, you know, why I think the low is yes. Been, Yes. You know, Shanghai taking delivery like they are, let's call it 200 tons a month. Mm-hmm. This is just not sustainable. Yeah. I mean, Shanghai is taking delivery, let's say, 80% of world production. Yeah. And then you throw India in there and throw in another 1,100 tons or yeah. so, throw in central banks for another 500 tons, 
throw in the Middle East and the United States for, let's say, another 1,000 tons, these numbers just don't add up. This, yeah. this gold is coming from sources that just is not sustainable. And, you know, with the, the GOFO rate previously negative for, like, almost two months, you know, the previous times GOFO went negative was in, like, Couple days in 2008. That was the bottom of the gold market. All right, you couple should back up. Let's let's back up and just tell the listeners what GOFO stands for. The gold offered forward rate. Okay. Um, it's a rate that's used in London uh, on their gold. So does this have to do with with backwardation or with? Um there's another issue, of course, that's come to light recently, is that the uh, that you've had, you know, the gold in near months are sell- is selling at a higher price than out in the into the future, which is is abnormal, totally abnormal right. for gold. Correct. So yeah, it, you should normally have a positive GOFO rate, which is right. normally the case. Let's say ninety five percent of the time, and when. When GOFO went negative for like a couple days in 2008, you could call that a backwardation. And basically, that was the bottom of the gold price in 2008. Mm-hmm. When GOFO went negative for a couple days in 2001, that was basically the bottom of the gold price, you know, in 2001. Mm-hmm. Instead of GOFO going negative for a couple days, GOFO literally was negative from July 8th all the way through August 30th. It went positive for like a couple, few days in early September, went negative again, and then back as of September 13th, it's barely positive. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bottom line is we had an unprecedented length of time where GOFO was negative, indicating to me there's a serious problem delivering 400-ounce gold bars out of London. And I think a big problem in that problem is is China has taken delivery of such huge amounts. Yeah, so, so does, this, does this mean then, Paul, that people are saying, I don't want to wait around for my gold in the future. I'm not sure it's going to be there. I want to get it. I want to get it as soon as possible. ASAP, I want that gold. So I'm not going to go out and take out a contract um, six months from now. I'm going to do it within the next two weeks or a month or whatever. Exactly. So like a negative GOFO rate is saying, Gold in hand is worth more than U.S. dollars in hand. Right. And people want their gold instead of the U.S. dollars. One more question. We're just about out of time. But what do you make of the uh, the inability to or lack of willingness to deliver gold to Germany as they've requested? Well, that's another signal. Um, I mean, Germany had a, a relatively modest request to repatri- repatriate a portion of their gold. And to take seven years, what was it, seven years, five years? Yeah, to uh, get their gold back, and they're Ridiculous. giving it dribbling. They're giving it dribbling it out. You know, fifty tons a year. That just shows you the gold is just not there. The gold isn't there, and and of course, uh, we haven't had an audit of the uh, United States gold supply since Eisenhower in the 1950s. Right. Uh, and of course, as the gold antitrust action people have been suggesting, with a great deal of ev- evidence, in my view, to back it up, that the, that probably the central banks have leased gold out. They pretend it's on their balance sheet, but they've leased it out, and it's never coming back. And and probably have leased it out to the owners of of. Um, uh, of the Federal Reserve, owners of the central banks have have been able to get this gold and do all kinds of things with it, make money with it in all kinds of ways. Uh, well, well, Paul, so y- you think that gold is poised, and silver, I take it too, is is in a similar position, right? Right. So you, you I take it that you you think we're we're headed for much much higher prices in both of those metals. I do. Um, you know, there's 
the short-term downside that can be initiated by the banks, I mean, on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, there's nothing to stop them. But over the intermediate term, I think we're headed to much, much higher prices for gold and silver. Well, there's no doubt that the bankers uh, back in, uh, 19, in 19, I mean, so let me get my number, in the early 2000s when gold was uh, 300 or so, there's right. no way those guys ever wanted to see $1,900 gold or $1,300 gold either, and yet exactly. it's happened. So in the long run, they, they play both sides of the game. They manipulate the market in the short term, uh, and you know then they're doing the opposite of what they're telling people to do, no doubt. And we're talking about the likes of J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Citigroup, uh, Morgan Stanley, probably Goldman Sachs. All those guys play this game, uh, and you know they t- talk out of both sides of their mouth. They manipulate people to do exactly the opposite of what they should be doing for their profit. I mean, it is a case of the uh, of the fox guarding the chicken coop, no no question about that. What are you well, telling your people? What what are you telling your people now, Paul, your news your subscribers? What do you tell them to do? Well, um, you know, I showed like a chart of uh GDX and GDXJ and um, GDXJ just filled an open gap from approximately a month ago, mm-hmm. which is a positive development and it shot up to the upside. So personally, I think um, even in the shorter term, we should be heading higher over the shorter term. Now, the GDXJ is the junior gold miners, isn't it? Correct. And GDX is the senior miners. Right. It's a a group. uh, It's like an index of, let's say, 50 companies or so for GDX and, you know, around 50 or so with a GDXJ. Right. It's a good way to play the gold mining stocks and get diversification. Right. You know, if any one particular stock gets hammered, you know, you're you're still right when gold goes up rather than, you know, take a severe loss on a bad stock pick. Right. Well, that's probably, that's certainly for people that don't have the time to to pay attention and follow these things or the inclination to spend the the effort because it does take a great deal of effort to stay on top of individual companies. No question that's a a good way to go. Uh, how, How can people follow your work, Paul? Um, you could uh, go to my website, which is uh, www.thegoldandsilveranalyst.com, and uh, check out my website, and you can get a uh, free copy of a newsletter or a free copy of my newsletter on a trial basis and uh, see if you like it. Excellent. I would suggest people do that because it is uh, a very easy to read. I think you, Paul, I think you do a great job of... Uh, explaining and showing pictures that help people understand what you're talking about. I would recommend, folks, it's free, a free trial. You heard Paul. So uh, that website again, Paul? It's uh, www.thegoldandsilveranalyst.com. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Paul. We are out of time. I want to thank you for being with us. But, folks, don't go away. We're going to come right back with uh, hedge fund manager Florian Siegfried. Uh, He'll be here to talk about some individual names, some of his favorite gold stocks. And I know that uh, Florian is pretty much in that GDXJ category more than the GDX area. So you might want to stick around and listen to what some of Florian's favorites are. Don't go away. We'll be right back. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property. 
a large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Some things never go out of style. In the gold business for over 100 years, high-grade Canadian gold discoveries have been in vogue amongst investors. Balmoral Resources has continued to deliver high-grade results from a series of new discoveries in Quebec. If you're looking to upgrade your portfolio in the fall with some golden highlights, learn more about Balmoral at balmoralresources.com. Balmoral trades on the OTCQX under the symbol BALMF and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol BAR. 